What's going on, gang? Welcome back. It's 10 Minutes of Modern here on Anchor, Saturday night. Got a lot of fun stuff going on here and some really cool ideas to talk to you guys about. I got a multitude of fun calls yesterday, but none better than classic 10 Minutes of Modern call-in master, Jeff Roberts. Uh, so I'm going to play a call, Jeff Roberts call for you guys, and uh, you will you know, hear what's going on with, uh, with the episode. So uh, without further ado, I give you Jeff Roberts. All right, man. So the first of two call-ins, um, I want to talk to you about a deck that I have been testing out, and I've been uh, having a good good time with it. It's uh, it seems pretty consistent. Um, basically, the shell of the deck involves a Trespasser's Curse, um, Bloodseeker, and uh, Rampaging Ferocidon uh, as when an enemy uh, has a creature enter the battlefield under their effect or in uh, under their control, uh, they basically lose life. Um, then, of course, I've paired it up with a couple of your favorite creatures, Hunted Phantasm and Hunted Troll, for the big, you know, dump four or five creatures onto their board and kill them with it. Um, the rest of the deck uses a, a variety of removal. Beast Within uh, in the main, which is amazing. Um, Mercy Killing, which is an instant that makes them sacrifice a creature and then put a bunch of 1-1s one in play based on its toughness, or on its power. Uh, it's a ton of fun. Anyways, my next call-in is going to talk to you about that deck. What's up, guys? Welcome back. So check it out. Uh, this is 10 Minutes of Modern. We're talking Magic the Gathering here on this station as we do every day because this is the official anchor station to the Masters of Modern podcast. So the idea you just heard from Jeff Roberts is close to my heart for a number of different reasons. Now, those of you that have listened to Masters of Modern for a long time know about the old school deck, Hunted Handsome. Now, this is a deck that I was working on before. I believe before I started doing the podcast with Alex, so before the days of the Masters of Modern existed Hunted Handsome, um, the, the name for the deck was because it plays a lot of hunted creatures, and one of the guys, Andrew Brown, who was, uh, had been on our show before, who now works for Wizards and makes magic cards, used to troll me and uh, in, in, a, in a very nice way refer to me as Handsome Ben. That was his nickname for me in the magic community and would say it all the time to kind of embarrass me. So uh, because of that, he and I came up with the name Hunted Handsome for the deck because we thought it would be funny, and we called this deck Hunted Handsome. The idea of that deck was you'd play Blood Artist and other things of that nature, a lot of the same ideas that Jeff Roberts is doing here with this deck, but you would be capitalizing on the creatures you were creating for your opponents dying for, to, to kill them and also getting a Hunted Horror on turn two with, at the time, Leyline of Singularity, which made all uh, all permanents became legendary. So if you got a 2-2 two, two for 7 that gave them two 3-3s, three, according to the old rule, those 3-3s three, would cease to exist. So... If you started with a ley line in play, and on turn two, you could just play a 7-7, seven, seven, and that was great. And you were, you were winning at life. The legend rule change made it so they would keep one of the 3-3s, three and the deck got worse. So I tried updating the deck and playing another version years later, but it was never quite as good. What Jeff has done here with this that I think is so cool is instead of taking advantage of your opponent's creatures dying and having to kill them and go through the extra step to trigger... He's taking advantage of creatures coming into play under your opponent's control, which means that instead of having to go the extra mile with, say, a Blood Artist, a Forbidden Orchard, and having an illness in the ranks, he's actually just taking advantage of the creatures hitting. And uh, I think that's so clever with some of the cards, like Mercy Killing is one of my favorites. Now, there's a couple different cards that have been printed since I was originally playing the deck that have made this more possible, right? So Mercy Killing existed back then, so did Illness in the Ranks. Those are cards that I've used both of, but uh, Rampaging Terastodon. I'm sorry, Rampaging Ferocidon, uh, which is a sick dinosaur, one red, two colorless for a 3-3 menace that whenever another creature comes into play under, under a player's control, uh, Ferocidon deals one damage to that player, and also players can't gain life. So what's nice about this card is that it's not only 
uh, an effect that is pushing your game plan, but it's also a 3-3 menace for three that prevents your opponent from gaining life. So that's pretty darn good on its, on its own. The other card that he mentioned that changed the game is Trespasser's Curse. It's a new curse from Amonkhet. It's one black, one colorless for an aura curse, and, and uh, whoever you you know enchant with the curse, whenever a creature enters under that player's control, you gain a life and they lose a life. So it, it allows you, with these hunted creatures that dump a bunch of dinky tokens to play under your opponent's control, to gain life and have them lose life. Now, it's a nombo, obviously, with Ferocidon because you can't gain any life, but What's going on here is that, you know, so, so Hunted Phantasm and Hunted Troll were the, the creatures du jour for this one, and it's a little different because while Hunted Horror really wanted to get a 7-7 and give your opponents zero creatures, this deck wants to get whatever you can get creature-wise, but more than anything wants to give your opponent as many creatures as possible. So playing a 4-6 unblockable for 3 that gives your opponent 5-1-1s, means that it enters the battlefield, your opponent loses 5 life. Now they have to figure out a way to stop you because you're going to dome them for 4 the next turn with an unblockable creature. Um, the same can be said for the Hunted Troll. So I think that's really cool. I think that this deck's a lot of fun. It's playing less bad cards than the version I was playing and a lot more uh, just like generally pretty good cards. Like I said, Mercy Killing I think is super clever. I think Beast Within's great. Um, imagine your opponent... Imagine your opponent with like a death shadow and you with one of these effects on the battlefield. It's just a like game over if you mercy, if you mercy killing. Um, so that's really, really cool. Congratulations, Jeff, on coming up with something really clever. It sounds like you're doing very well with the deck and, uh, just a big shout out to being creative with decks, man. You know, I'm going to play your other call in here in a second because it, it pertains to what you're talking about here and, I think it's another interesting point, but uh, once again, man, as always, thanks for being a supporter of the show, calling out with a good idea, and, and let this be, you know, inspiration to anybody else here. If you build a brew that you think is really awesome and you want to share it on the show, I'm going to do, I do these deck techs from time to time, you know, if, if I come across something I really like, so call in with your thoughts, respond to the thoughts here, um, and, uh, you know, that's how, that's how we keep the station going, guys. As always, please favorite the station if you like what you're hearing. If you're hearing this on a different medium than Anchor, if you're hearing this on YouTube, if you're hearing this on Twitter, Reddit, what have you, Facebook, please download Download the app, Anchor.fm, and, uh, and, and Favorite Station, because if you do that, it keeps the thing going. And I've got some really fun stuff going on, guys, support from Anchor with some, some contests, some giveaways, some fun stuff I'm working on. So, you know, if I get a little more traction on the station, there's a good chance that stuff happens sooner than later. So uh, thanks for listening, guys. Ben Bateman Media on Twitter, and let's keep the conversation going. All right. So based on the deck that I was just talking about, I was playing in a league online uh, against an opponent who suddenly said to me, why are you playing with these cards in a competitive league? But they were playing with a deck that focused on getting 1-1 counters on Everflowing Chalices and Ancestral Cornucopias in order to combo out with Paradox Engine. So I found the, the question kind of funny, and it made me want to ask you, what do you consider a quote-unquote competitive deck? You know, to you, is that only a top-tier deck? Only a deck that shows up at tournament scenes and nothing else? Um, or would you say that a competitive deck is simply a deck that is tuned to win. It is not a kitchen table deck. It is designed to try and fight the meta. Um, you know, maybe it doesn't do it well, or maybe there's other decks that do it better, but a deck doing it better does not make another deck invalid. It's a completely different strategy. I just wanted to get your take on that, Ben. All right, Jeff. I like your style here, man. It's a cool idea. It's a cool idea to propose what is competitive, and I think there's an answer, there's an easy answer to that question. Um, it's easy to answer, it's not as easy to take that answer and I think apply it to your personal ideas. That, I think, is the difficult part. So, the question is what constitutes a competitive deck, right? 
what constitutes competitive deck? Well, at any given time, you're looking at some some number of tier one and tier 1.5 decks in modern, and that can change very quickly. That can change in the course of two weeks. A deck, whether it's from a banning or it's just from a metagame shift, the deck can drop from tier one to tier 1.5, from tier 1.5 to tier two. The best decks never really drop out of that tier 1.5, and so the the staples of the format, like affinity cards, decks like that, take a deck like Burn. You know, that's like the kind of deck that's always kind of been right there. Um, you know, decks like Jund or Abzan, decks like that don't really ever change to the point that they become tier 2, tier 2.5. They're always kind of in the top. So when you start talking about what constitutes a competitive deck outside of those top, let's just say like 16 sort of always decks options, well, I think it comes down to two things. Everybody can come up with something clever. Synergy amongst cards that you like and want to play, right? And we're talking... Anything from like the first people to play white red prison decks, you know, with Elspeths and Blood Moons, all the way over to, you know, Jeff Roberts playing a hunted deck or anything like that. And what I think it ultimately comes down to is if you're going for something that's just clever, that's just doing something clever, uh, it's achieving a goal that is similar to something that, a, that another good tier one proven deck is doing, but it's doing it in a different way with cards that you like. Unless you have empirical evidence that you can show, based on other people playing the deck now, because you've gotten it out there, that it is in fact as good and matches up as well in the hands of good players against the good decks, you're choosing to play a deck that is not as good as the established deck, right? So it's hard to call your deck it's hard to call your deck competitive in the sense that like if you were trying to be competitive, you would play the other deck. Now if you're playing a brew that is specifically targeting a part of the metagame, that's when you get into sort of different different territory. It's possible to build something that is just nuts and bolts good, like a combination of cards somebody hasn't thought of before. That happens. I'm not saying that you, it's not competitive, but when you refer to a deck as competitive, if it's a brew, if it's not one of those established decks, in my opinion, it tends to be because the deck is targeting something in the metagame that is specific. So if it's a Blood Moon-centric main deck kind of a strategy, Maybe it's because at that moment every single deck in the format is playing nothing but non-basic lands, right? If it's a land destruction deck for the same reason, right? Maybe creature decks are super prominent at that moment, so you're playing just the ultimate control deck, right? And it's just all removal and all sweepers, and all of a sudden, you know, you are playing a control deck that is off the beaten path. You know, maybe you're playing something that you wanted to try, a Sultai control deck, and you've just found a combination of cards, and Sultai happens to at that moment be so good based on the metagame. That, to me, is what a competitive deck is when it's a brew. Now, that space in between of somebody, like you mentioned, you know, the guy playing paradox engine and referring to and referring to you deck and saying well you know why are you playing that at this tournament well i think ultimately what that comes down to is it's never unless that guy is like a six-time pro player who has like become successful from either piloting you know tier one decks and only tier one decks or he's the, the opposite where he's you know found great success playing playing uh brews or he's found a great deal of failure playing brews at the highest level but trying them that's the kind of person that can say something to you like that. Why are you playing that at a competitive tournament? If it's just Joe Schmo who's just playing something that he wants to play, nobody gets to pass judgment like that in Magic. Because the bottom line is, there's always an idea waiting to be discovered around the corner. Whether it is targeting the metagame in a way that's trying to take advantage of a trend, or it's just through and through somebody, somebody who's doing something like 
uh, Amulet Bloom before Amulet Bloom was a thing or Goria's Vengeance decks before Goria's Vengeance were a thing. Like these are strategies that just kind of became a thing. They were out there. The cards all existed. People just started playing them at the highest level and then they became decks. And at the beginning of their play, I'm sure somebody was looking over at that guy who was playing Summer Bloom and Amulet saying, what the hell are you playing? Why are you playing this at a competitive tournament? So that is my answer to the question. I hope that shed some light on it. Thanks for everybody listening. Um, as always, favorite the station. If you like what you're hearing, find me on Twitter at Ben Bateman Media. If you're hearing this in a medium other than Anchor, please download Anchor.fm and find the station, the 10 Minutes of Modern. As always, guys, have a great Saturday. We'll keep coming at you with modern content tomorrow.